0: effectively message and tune into the music the sound the sensibilities uh, uh paul says in corinthians i became all things to all men that i might win some we've got to take a page out of paul the bible says he that wins the souls is wise
1: Action on the Charisma Podcast Network, I'm Taylor Berglund, and today I'm excited to welcome, on the phone line, Reverend Eugene Rivers from the Seymour Institute for Black Church and Policy Studies. Eugene, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, and, 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 and very happy to be on your show. Well, we're really very, appreciate it.
1: We're very happy to have you today, and I think that you've got a, a really interesting organization. Can you explain for listeners who may not be familiar what it is that you do at the Seymour Institute for Black Church and Policy Studies?
0: Sure, absolutely. Uh, The Seymour Institute for Black Church and Policy Studies is the leading research and educational think tank devoted to advancing critical ideas for the black church uh, from a philosophical and policy perspective. It was uh, founded uh, by myself and a uh, Christian student group at Harvard University in the mid-'80s, and we have, over the years, uh, been working to heighten the visibility of the black church around public policy issues that affect the entire country.
1: Okay, great. So then, practically, what does that look like? What are some of the issues that you guys are really
0: passionate about? Uh, we are, in particular, extremely passionate around the issue of religious freedom for the churches. Uh, to some extent, over the last 20 years, there's been sort of an erosion of uh, recognition and due respect to the faith communities that we would be free to practice our faith and uh, put concisely for the black churches in particular uh, we want to educate the black churches to understand that religious freedom is absolutely essential because we must be free to defend the interests of the poor that we serve
1: that's really cool, and I think that's, that's a very neat perspective, because I know we hear a lot talked about in religious freedom about things like the Johnson Amendment or that sort of right. thing. How does religious freedom really enable a church to better serve the poor community?
0: See, uh, a couple of ways. And, uh, you know, uh, number one, um, the faith communities must be free to practice their faith. Uh, and, uh, for example, uh, prayer is a major component that many poor people come to churches for. I mean, it's remarkable. In the inner cities, people will show up at churches to ask the pastor or the members to pray for them because, in their view, independently of being preached to, they believe that prayer can make a difference. Also, uh, one of the ways that um, uh, uh, churches and religious freedom affects the poor, is that you have countless numbers of people who volunteer to work in soup kitchens, uh, food pantries, uh, and, and, and such services. Well, it is our belief in God and our commitment to do our faith which gives us the capacity and the resources to feed the poor, to serve the poor, and to advocate effectively for the poor.
1: So then, under the new presidential administration, in the age of Trump, so to speak, what does that mean and signal moving forward for the issue of religious freedom?
0: Excellent. Um, We believe that there may be an opening for the churches across the board, because the Trump administration, uh, we believe, uh, is uh, faith-friendly. We applaud the president of with a new Supreme Court justice who will be much more faith friendly and as a devout Roman Catholic, so that on issues of abortion we may have a more sympathetic Supreme Court. And so we commend uh, President Trump uh, for a brilliant call that I think will, you know, advance the interests of the unborn. So uh, I think that um, there are other areas. Uh, In particular, in the inner cities, where uh, we're hopeful that the Trump administration uh, will, uh, under um, uh, Ben Carson, uh, provide some new ideas and develop some strategic partnerships with faith communities.
1: So I know that at the Seymour Institute, you guys are all about creating resources to really help and empower the churches. I know one of the new resources that you guys have is a seminar that you guys are doing. Can you tell me a little about that?
0: Absolutely. On, um, at Princeton Theological Seminary, right, July 26th through the 28th, uh, the Seymour Institute is hosting a uh, Black Church Alert uh, a, a, a seminar on the black church and re- religious freedom in the age of Trump. And our keynote speakers include Bishop Charles Blake, the presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, Elder Quentin Cook from the uh, Church of the Latter-day Saints, uh, Professor David Daniels and Professor Sarah Saunders, and others from around the country. And we're making this an educational leadership development resource to strengthen the church's capacities to advocate more effectively for religious freedom.
1: So you've talked about a lot of the ways that, and this this will probably tie into the seminar, you've talked about a lot of the ways that there's reasons for optimism for religious freedom under the Trump administration. What are some of the biggest challenges you see moving forward?
0: One of the biggest challenges is probably internal, in that... Uh, the faith communities in general have to be better equipped to play the long game around the issue of religious freedom. And we have to play smarter, not harder. And so I think that internally, moving forward, for example, uh, we've got to develop some uh, excellent messaging uh, strategies. For example, um, one of the most important advocates for religious freedom is uh, the historical figure of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And I think that part of our messaging uh, uh, could be assisted by lifting up the key themes around religious freedom that are associated with Martin Luther King. And so um, we've got to improve on our messaging. I think that one of the opportunities that presents itself is that next year will be the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, and the conservative and r- religious faith communities have to seize this opportunity to do some really exciting things.
1: So you were talking about messaging when it comes to getting out the idea of religious freedom. Do you see millennials being excited about the issue of religious freedom, or is that an area that also needs more messaging work?
0: Uh, excellent question. Now, boy, you're on your A-game, guy? <laughs> Thank you very much. One of the, most, one of the greatest challenges and opportunities the churches is to get out front on the issue of religious freedom because millennials are not as engaged as they could be. Now part of that is that the church has done a poor job of messaging. And As one friend put it, see, uh, the church is uh, sort of like God, right? We've got a great case, just poor lawyers, right? You know, and so we've got to more effectively message and tune into the music, the sound, the sensibilities. Uh, uh Paul says in Corinthians I became all things to all men that I might win some. We've got to take a page out of Paul. The Bible says he that wins the souls is wise. And so, we've got to be never rude, always shrewd in our communications to captivate the imagination of the millennials.
1: And if we're able to do that effectively and to to really message religious freedom uh, in, in an appealing, positive way to all generations, how do you think that could transform America?
0: I think that the future of America is strengthened and ensured because we are able to plant seeds of faith and hope in the hearts and minds of a rising generation. You see, I mean, there's this great opportunity for us to reshape the direction of the future by effectively ministering to the needs of young people all across the world, actually.
1: Fantastic. And then on a, on a broader scale, then, um, for you, especially being plugged into the, the black church and the African-American community, what, what is your vision for that community moving forward?
0: Moving forward, uh, it is my view— that we are entering what I call a post-secular phase. Uh, Fifty years of partisan, black electoral politics, uh, a two-term black president, and the conditions in our inner cities are not uh, what they should be. Now, that presents an opportunity for the churches to pick up the slack, to fill the vacuum, and, and, to, and to stand in the gap. So I'm excited because there's a challenge and an opportunity to, to, to advance the case of the good news of the kingdom for a younger generation, and, uh, and, and for the Church to step in, as it did with Martin Luther King, to fill the gap in the inner cities.
1: So you think the Church can be a very spiritually unifying force at a time of great political division?
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'll go further. The Church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, red, brown, black, white, purple, the church of Jesus Christ is ultimately the only community that can be work to bring the country together and to reduce and heal many of the divisions that exist.
1: Fantastic. So then, if people want to be able to find out more about this conference and and, and hear more from you and your organization, where can they do that?
0: Oh, www com. If you want to find out, if one wants to find out more about the conference and the Seymour Institute and, you know, and our, our goals and ambitions, go visit www.seymourinstitute, one word, dot com.
1: All right. And that's spelled S-E-Y-M-O-U-R
0: Institute. That, that's correct. S-E-Y-M-O-U-R Institute dot uh, com.
1: Great. And then are you available on social media if people want to see what you're up to?
0: Uh, well, uh, yeah, in fact, if you go to that same site, uh, a lot of what I'm doing around the country, you uh, you can pick up there.
1: All right, great. And then, uh, was there this, this has been a really great conversation with you today. Is Thank there, you
0: so much. God bless you.
1: Yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about while we're on the show?
0: Um, you know, I w- we look forward to seeing uh, 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 folks that are listening uh, on July 26th, 28th at Princeton Theological Seminary, where Bishop Blake's going gonna to burn the house down with an anointed, Spirit-filled message about religious freedom.
1: Amen. All right, well, one thing we like to do on Charisma Connection to uh, finish up the show is we like to ask our guests to, if they wouldn't mind, closing us out with prayer. Do you mind?
0: Amen, amen, amen. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and praise you for the privilege to serve, the privilege to teach. God, we just ask a blessing, you know, on on, uh, the Charisma family, and we ask a special blessing on Bishop Blake and the Seymour Institute, that God, everything that we do will be to your glory, in your glory alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen.
1: Amen. You've been listening to Reverend Eugene Rivers on Charisma Connection here on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us.
0: This has been a production of the Charisma
1: Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.